Well, hi there, and welcome to this special broadcast. We're calling it the CCCC COVID-19 Radio Theater. We're glad that you've tuned in. My name is Fred Brucker, and I'm coming to you from my home studio, as is the case with all of the content you will hear on this radio special. As coronavirus caused all sorts of changes of life, we've all had to try to do things a little differently. For the students of Central Carolina Community College, that meant switching from taking classes on campus to taking classes online. And for the broadcasting students in particular, that meant trying to produce content without the luxury of using college campus studios. The students that were on-air personalities at our Harnett County radio station, 88.3 WUAW, turned to creating short podcasts. Most of them only had their smartphones for recording and editing audio. You can find those podcasts on the station website, 883wuaw.com forward slash podcasts. You'll hear short features that include commentary on movies, what's happening in the automotive industry, technology news, and even tips and tricks on playing the game Dragon Ball Legends. By the way, if you prefer, you can also find these podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. Just search for 883WUAW. This hour, however, you are going to hear three different short radio dramas produced by students of the broadcast speech class. You'll hear a spirited pirate drama, a one-person interpretation of a literary classic, and a really funny story about some guys that found themselves in a guitar playing contest. These features were also produced using limited resources and proper social distancing practices. I think you'll be pleasantly pleased with what our students were able to create during quarantine. So grab some popcorn and turn on the theater of your mind as we treat you to the CCCC COVID-19 Radio Theater. First up, we have an adventure on the high seas that shows the results of what happens when two sisters quarrel over who gets to be captain. Sibling rivalry can sometimes cost more than just hurt feelings and being told on to one's mother. We'll see a case where an argument causes an incident in international waters in this story called Corsairs of the Carolinas, featuring Sierra Davis, Katie McGowan, and Stuart Rose. Welcome, traveler, to the high seas. If it's an adventure you're after, you've come to the right place. Here, you will never know if that sail on the horizon is a friend or a pirate until it is too late. Some of these notorious fiends you may know, such as Blackbeard, Calico Jack, or the dread pirate Roberts. But this is not their story. This is the story of two sisters. Eliza in Constance. The Corsairs of the Carolinas. It's not fair, Eliza. You being the captain only because you're older. On this ship, the crew respects me as much as they respect you. I could lead and they never know the difference. 
They would know, because I'm simply better. It's only part from being older that I'm also wiser than you. Captain, the crew's all aboard. Do we set sail? We leave with the tide. It's too late to head out now. Aye, aye, Captain. See, I can do that. I'll think about it. That means no. Very well. No. Later that night, with the moon high, using one of the longboats, Constance rose away from their ship, the blood red lily, determined to find what she wants and take it. Doesn't think I can do it? I'll show her. I'll go join another pirate crew and become their captain. Then she'll see. I can do anything she can do. Selfish older sister. I just want to do it. Mr. Gibbs, are we ready to set sail? I can't... Wait, belay that. Where's your sister? If she's not here, she gets left behind. That's her own fault. She knows the code. But she's your sister. She is a member of the crew. No special treatment. Now set sail and get underway. But, Captain... It was her choice. Now belay yourself or it's the brig. Aye, aye. Cast off! Cast off! On the pier... Beside Blackbeard's ship, Constance shuffles closer to the feared pirate with a confidence that she doesn't truly possess. The feared pirate stands there, smoke billowing out of his beard like a demon. And what have we here? I want to join your crew. Why? (laughs) To prove I can be a good pirate and make my sister regret not taking me on as captain. So feel free to make me quartermaster while I prove I can be a captain. See him? He's my quartermaster. I can take him. Missy, quartermasters are chosen. You just have to prove yourself. Consider yourself a powder girl. I think I'd rather not. No longer your choice. Take her. Unhand me, you foul oaf! Put me down! You can't take me, you brute! I have rights! I am the first mate of the blood red lily! My sister will come for you! Will she? (laughs) Didn't you leave her? Now, hush! Eliza, I'm sorry. Back at Tortuga, Eliza relaxes after her pillaging, while her crew happily spins their money in the way all pirates do. At the pub, with their friends, and a song. Way, hey, up she rises, way, hey, up she rises, way, hey, up she rises, early in the morning. Are you ready now? Way, hey, up she rises, way, hey, up 
she rises way hey up she rises early in the morning captain i found where your sister is oh blackbeard has her and he took her and now she's a forced member of his crew it's her own fault she ran away she deserves it no one deserves him why do you care she left the crew she went on her way and i'm not going to risk the ship or the crew going after someone who doesn't want to be found and if she does then she would have never run away no one made her she chose to run away still still nothing i'm going back to the ship The captain's quarters on the Blood Red Lily are quiet. Eliza sits alone with her thoughts as they drift with the rocking of the boat ever nearer her sister. Come in. Captain. It's my fault, Gibbs. Ma'am? It's my fault she left. If only I'd let her be captain, then she'd be here and be safe. But she's not, and it, it's all my fault. I'm so selfish. <laughs> what are your orders, Captain? Orders? Yes. Wait. Right. I'm the captain. Set sail! Into the rigging, you scallywags! We are hunting the Queen Anne's revenge! All hands, man your stations! Back aboard the Queen Anne's revenge, Blackbeard contentedly sails up the coast of the Carolinas, unaware of the small red ship in its pursuit. Constance, now little more than a slave, swabs the deck. You missed a spot there, missy. Aye, Captain. <sighs> Why did I have to be so stupid? She probably hates me. I was so selfish, I just wanted what she had. And now I'm stuck here. Ship off the port stern! Red sails! Red flag! Heading straight for us! She's coming for me! Take the girl blue! Boons! Battle stations! You've made the wrong choice, girl. Back aboard the Lily, Eliza and Gibbs prepare their crew for the coming battle, and storm clouds form in the distance. We will take this ship. Dying and failing is not an option. Out the guns! Mr. Gibbs, the main objective is Constance, but if we need to destroy the ship... On your orders. Give them a broadside! Open fire! And fire at will! Which ones will?
Captain, they will destroy us. We need to board them. What are we waiting for? Hooks! Hooks, board the men! Where is my sister, Blackbeard? Die! below. At me, Blackbeard. And guard you. Constance? Here, you came for me. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I should have let you be captain. I was selfish. I just wanted to be in charge, but I'm not good at it. You are. Well, we have no ship. We can use one of the longboats. There! Help me! Where is Gibbs? There! He's jumping down. I blew it up. I can see that. Connie! Ellie! Time for dinner! And it's beginning to rain. Coming, Mom! Jeffrey, you need to take Jacob and go home now. Your mother also asked if you knew where her mop head was. I'm assuming it's the thing attached to your face? Busted. We need to get the boats inside. The cardboard won't survive the rain, though Jacob pretty much destroyed Jeffrey's. Connie, tomorrow? You can be captain if you want to. Really? Thanks, Ellie. Prepare to meet the dread pirate Connie. And so wins our adventure. Till next time, when the dread pirate Connie takes to the seas. And until then, I wish you only the best. Farewell. Voicing Eliza, the mother, and Bones is Sierra Davis. Voicing Constance and the Lookout is Katie McGowan. The narrator, Blackbeard, and Gibbs are voiced by Stuart Rose, with additional voices by Stuart Rose and Mitchell Rose. Corsairs of the Carolinas was written and directed by Stuart Rose, with sound design by Any Other Name Productions and original score by Stuart Rose. You are listening to the CCCC COVID-19 Radio Theater, a series of radio productions produced by students while working and studying from home. I'm Fred Brucker, your host for this special broadcast. Next up, 
Scott Lee Peterson takes on the challenge of retelling the short story by Anton Chekhov that features the themes of devotion, loneliness, escape, fear, love, dedication, hope, defeat, and independence. Scott Lee tells us the story of Nellie on a New Year's Eve night in his interpretation of The Looking Glass. New Year's Eve. Nellie, the daughter of a landowner and general, a young and pretty girl, dreaming day and night of being married, was sitting in her room, gazing with exhausted, half-closed eyes into the looking glass. She was pale, tense, and as motionless as the looking glass. The non-existent but apparent vista of a long, narrow corridor with endless rows of candles, the reflection of her face, her hands, of the frame, all this was already clouded in mist and merged into a boundless gray sea. The sea was undulating, gleaming, and now and then flaring crimson. Looking at Nellie's motionless eyes and parted lips, one could hardly say whether she was asleep or awake, but nevertheless she was seeing. At first she saw only the smile and soft, charming expression of someone's eyes. Then, against the shifting gray background, there gradually appeared the outlines of a head, a face, eyebrows, beard. It was he, the destined one, the object of long dreams and hopes. The destined one was for Nellie everything, the significance of life, personal happiness, career, fate. Outside him, as on the gray background of the looking glass, all was dark, empty, meaningless. And so it was not strange that, seeing before her a handsome, gently smiling face, she was conscious of bliss, of an unutterably sweet dream that could not be expressed in speech or on paper. Then she heard his voice, saw herself living under the same roof with him, her life merged into his. Months and years flew by against the gray background, and Nellie saw her future distinctly in all its details. Picture followed picture against the gray background. Now Nellie saw herself one winter night knocking at the door of Stepan Lukic, the district doctor. The old dog hoarsely and lazily barked behind the gate. The doctor's windows were in darkness. All was silence. For goodness sake, for goodness sake, whispered Nellie. But at last the garden gate creaked and Nellie saw the doctor's cook. Is the doctor at home? His honor's asleep, whispered the cook into her sleeve, as though afraid of waking her master. He's only just got home from his fever patients and gave orders he was not to be waked. But Nellie scarcely heard the cook. Thrusting her aside, she rushed headlong into the doctor's house, running through some dark and stuffy rooms, upsetting two or three chairs. She at last reached the doctor's bedroom. Stepan Lukic was lying on his bed, dressed but without his coat and with pouting lips was breathing into his open hand. A little nightlight glimmered faintly beside him. Without uttering a word, Nellie sat down and began to cry. She wept bitterly, shaking all over. My husband is ill, she sobbed out. Stepan Lukic was silent. He slowly sat up, propped his head on his hand, and looked at his visitor with fixed, sleepy eyes. My husband is ill, Nellie continued, restraining her sobs. For mercy's sake, come quickly. Make haste. Make haste. Eh? growled the doctor, 
blowing into his hand. Come, come this very minute, or it's terrible to think, for mercy's sake. And pale, exhausted Nellie, gasping and swallowing her tears, began describing to the doctor her husband's illness, her unutterable terror. Her sufferings would have touched the heart of a stone. But the doctor looked at her, blew into his open hand, and not a movement. I'll come tomorrow, he muttered. That's impossible, cried Nellie. I know my husband has typhus. At once, this very minute you are needed. I, uh, I've only just come in, muttered the doctor. For the last three days, I've been away, seeing typhus patients, and I'm exhausted and ill myself. I simply cannot. Absolutely. I've caught it myself. There. And the doctor thrust before her eyes a clinical thermometer. My temperature is nearly 40. I absolutely can't. I can scarcely sit up. Excuse me. I'll lie down. The doctor lay down. But I implore you, doctor. Nellie moaned in despair. I beseech you. Help me. For mercy's sake, make a great effort and come. I will repay you, doctor. Oh, dear. Why, I've told you already. Ah. Nellie leapt up and walked nervously up and down the bedroom. She longed to explain to the doctor to bring him to reason. She thought if only he knew how dear her husband was to her and how unhappy she was, he would forget his exhaustion and his illness. But how could she be eloquent enough? Go to the Zemsvo doctor. She heard Stepan Lukic's voice. That's impossible. He lives more than 20 miles from here, and time is precious, and the horses can't stand it. It is 30 miles from us to you, and as much from here to the Zemsvo doctor. No, it's impossible. Come along, Stepan Lukic. I ask of you a heroic deed. Come, perform that heroic deed. Have pity on us. It's beyond everything. I'm in fever. My head's in a whirl. And she won't understand. Leave me alone. But you are in duty bound to come. You cannot refuse me. It's egoism. A man is bound to sacrifice his life for his neighbor. And you? You refuse to come. I will summon you before the court. Nellie felt that she was uttering a false and undeserved insult. But for her husband's sake, she was capable of forgetting logic, tact, sympathy for others. In reply to her threats, the doctor greedily gulped a glass of cold water. Nellie fell to entreating and imploring like the very lowest beggar. At last, the doctor gave way. He slowly got up, puffing and panting, looking for his coat. Here it is, cried Nellie, helping him. Let me put it on to you. Come along. I will repay you. All my life I shall be grateful to you. But what agony. After putting on his coat, the doctor lay down again. Nellie got him up and dragged him to the hall. Then there was an agonizing to-do over his galoshes, his overcoat. His cap was lost. But at last, Nellie was in the carriage with the doctor. Now they had only to drive 30 miles and her husband would have a doctor's help. The earth was wrapped in darkness. One could not see one's hand before one's face. A cold winter wind was blowing. There were frozen lumps under their wheels. The coachman was continually stopping and wondering which road to take. Nellie and the doctor sat silent all the way. 
It was fearfully jolting, but they felt neither the cold nor the jolts. Get on! Get on! Nellie implored the driver. At five in the morning, the exhausted horses drove into the yard. Nellie saw the familiar gates, the well with the crane, the long row of stables and barns. At last, she was at home. Wait a moment. I will be back directly, she said to Stepan Lukich, making him sit down on the sofa in the dining room. Sit still and wait a little, and I'll see how he's going on. On her return from her husband, Nellie found the doctor lying down. He was lying on the sofa and muttering. Doctor, please. Doctor? Eh? Ask Donna, muttered Stepan Lukic. They said at the meeting, uh, Vlasov said, uh, who? What? And to her horror, Nellie saw that the doctor was as delirious as her husband. What was to be done? I must go for the Zemsfo doctor, she decided. Then again, there followed darkness, a cutting cold wind, lumps of frozen earth. She was suffering in body and in soul, and delusive nature has no arts, no deceptions to compensate these sufferings. Then she saw, against the gray background, how her husband every spring was in straits for money to pay the interest for the mortgage to the bank. He could not sleep, she could not sleep, and both racked their brains till their heads ached, thinking how to avoid being visited by the clerk of the court. She saw her children, the everlasting apprehension of colds, scarlet fever, diphtheria, bad marks at school, separation. Out of a brood of five or six, one was sure to die. The gray background was not untouched by death. That might well be. A husband and wife cannot die simultaneously. Whatever happened, one must bury the other. And Nellie saw her husband dying. This terrible event presented itself to her in every detail. She saw the coffin, the candles, the deacon, and even the footmarks in the hall made by the undertaker. Why is it? What is it for? She asked, looking blankly at her husband's face. And all the previous life with her husband seemed to her a stupid prelude to this. Something fell from Nellie's hand and knocked on the floor. She started, jumped up, and opened her eyes wide. One looking glass she saw lying at her feet. The other was standing as before on the table. She looked into the looking glass and saw a pale, tear-stained face. There was no gray background now. I must have fallen asleep, she thought with a sigh of relief. Thanks for joining us for this special presentation that we're calling the CCCC COVID-19 Radio Theater. I'm Fred Brucker, and we're taking you through a series of radio dramas produced by students that didn't have the luxury of accessing our broadcast studios. All of the content this hour is truly, literally, homegrown. Our final story this hour is one written by William Parker. It's a hilarious comedy about two friends that enter a contest to find a certain guitar. But when doing so, find the person that claims to own that guitar and finds themselves in another contest as a result. William is joined by Mac Newton, Chris Tara, Jordan Morton, and Gavin Schaefer in this short story adventure titled Pinecone, The Hidden Guitar. 
Enjoy. Introducing Pinecomb, the hidden guitar, a music field adventures with two dingy buds versus a homeless man to win a guitar. Starring William Parker as Cody Richardson, Chris Tura as the narrator, Mac Newen as Zachary Clayton, Gavin Schaefer as Rob Scott, and Jordan Moore as the challenger. Here's chapter one. Enjoy. The adventure starts off on a cool autumn day at Harnett County-owned Anderson Creek County Park, located just down the road from the country club of the same name. Cody Richardson and local dinghy butt and his friend Zachary Clayton decided to enjoy the beautiful fall weather by taking a short drive to the park. Upon arrival, the boys took in a deep breath of oxygen. Ah, smell that autumn oak. We're one with nature for sure today, Zach. What does that even mean? It means we're at the park, dinghy butt. Well, duh. I can see that. What, the year dinghy butt? No, we're... Never mind. Zach squinted his eyes. He saw something unusual not far from where they were standing. Hey, look at that poster over there. That is a picture of a guitar on it. He was pointing to a small blue paper on the park's rule sign and regulation sign. Huh. It says here that there's a contest going on to find a hidden guitar called Pinecomb down the Pine Overlook Path, which is the one we were going on. Hmm. You know what, Zach? I say we try it. Oh, what? What do we need one for? You haven't played a guitar in years, and I don't even know how to play one myself. It'll be a total waste of time. Come on, man, it's free. Look, look, I'll teach you. Do you have anything better to do today besides this anyway? Well, no, not really. Then let's do it then. Come on. Ugh. Fine. That was the end of Chapter 1. Will Cody and Zach find the guitar? Find out in Chapter 2. Enjoy. The dinghy butts followed the long paved path through all the beautiful fall colors and noticed the different types of trees, leaves, and animals such as birds, rabbits, and the occasional gray squirrel. The sky was lit up with its golden rays of sunshine. Cody was keeping a sharp eye out for Pinecomb, the guitar. Alright, Zach, look for that guitar. It could be anywhere around here. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't hide it off the trail. Or would they? I don't know. Maybe. They wouldn't put it out in the open, though. It'd be too easy. Good point. The boys continued to walk. The pond overlooked path was about a mile and a half in length. Soon after dodging brief vines, stepping over anthills, climbing over a few fallen trees, and getting bitten by mosquitoes, the boys could see the pond in the distance. So how's your doorknob cleaning job coming along? Huh? Oh, uh, not so good, actually. I've had like five door slams in my face this last Tuesday. You big dangy butt. You see, I told you you wouldn't make nothing. Well, I mean, this is something. But um, I may have to quit soon because I just don't see like a future in it at all, basically. But um, I may have to go into radio. You know, it's been a lifelong dream of mine. Radio, you say? Sounds interesting. The boys stopped. They were standing on the wooden pier overlooking the pond or, or what was left of it. Alrighty, we're here. Where'd the pond go? It's dried up, I guess. Never mind the pond's at, we need to look for that guitar. Right, any sign of it yet? Now, now, now Zach, why on earth would I tell you to look for it if I'd already found it? Uh, I don't know, because you're a dingy butt. No, you're the dingy butt here. Look below this overlook and I'll look in the woods over there. 
Man, you're crazy. I'm not going under this thing. There might be mice, snakes, or men with briefcases. Uh, okay. Why would men with briefcases be hiding down there? It was a nightmare I had once. <gasps> oh, maybe you shouldn't go down there then, Zach. It may be too dangerous for a dingy butt like you. I 100% agree with you. I say we give up and go home. Then Cody pushed Zach off the overlook and into the mud. Ow! I'm gonna get you for that. Just look down there, okay? Gosh. Zach stumbled down the small hill off the path, a sign that stated, Caution! Eastern cotton mouse snake habitat caught his attention. Zach then nervously and slowly made his way around the corner to find an acoustic guitar laying in the brush out in the open. That was the end of Chapter 2. Is Cody and Zach's mission complete? Find out in Chapter 3. Enjoy. Hey, there it is. That was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. As soon as Zach went to bend down to grab the guitar, a large hand grabbed Zach's arm. Yeah! What the heck? Get off! He struggled to gain his arm free, and when he did, Zach took the guitar. Then a tall, buff, hairy, and dim-witted man climbed out of the underneath the lookout and stood up. His face was pale with a five o'clock shadow, and his eyes were gray, which was rare. He wore a torn, fatal shirt, cut-up jeans, and a kitchen pot on his head. It was clear that this man was living at the park. Howdy. Uh, howdy! Hey, Cody, get over here! I done found me a bum! Well, that's not very nice. Cody walked up confused. Hey, you found the guitar, and you also found, uh... Huh. Who are you? Name's Rob Scott, and I was taking my midday nap. Now I would appreciate it if this little guy would give me back my guitar. Your guitar? Now listen here, Mr. McDingy. Alright, Zach, let me settle this here. Uh, Now, Mr. Rob, we have traveled far and wide searching for this guitar. It was a great deal of hard work and, and dedication here, uh, but we found it fair and square, and if you don't believe me, uh, <laughs> see if I care. Spit them facts, bro. Spit them straight facts to his face. That may be true, sir, but you see... I live here in this them there park, and I was here when the county first delivered that guitar here, and more importantly, I found it first. Wait, you live here? Doesn't that make you homeless? It sure does, Zach. See, uh, with you living here, it doesn't make this contest fair because, uh, well, you already saw where they hit it. Yeah, you probably didn't even know there was a contest. Oh, yeah? Well, how about we see what's fair and what's not? I'll make a deal with you. Hmm, what kind of deal? Whoever plays that them Blair guitar the best gets to keep it. I don't like it. Who asked you, you little munchkin? Munchkin? Man, I'll kick your teeth out. I know I'm short for my age. You know what, Zach? I think this deal's fair enough for me. Challenge accepted, my dude. Good, good.
Cody and Rob shook hands, then the three walked to the top of the lookout to achieve their goal. When there, Cody took the guitar and strummed it for practice. He knew that he hadn't even touched a guitar in over four years. That was the end of Chapter 3. Who will claim the guitar as their own? Find out in Chapter 4. Enjoy. This, uh, this is a horse with no name by a 70s soft rock band called America. I like it a lot. Well, I guess I should let the guitar do the talking here. Here we go! So after he took a deep breath, Cody began. Okay. He played the best that he could because he knew how important that guitar meant to him and Zach. Wow, that was pretty good, but now it's the musician's turn. Rob quickly grabbed the guitar out of Cody's hands and tuned it. Let me just warn you, I used to be part of a band. I've had some experience watching learn, ladies. <laughs> yeah, the key word there is some. This is a little solo I created. I call it the Birdale song. He began. That's all I needed to hear. Unsurprisingly, it was extremely bad. He knew the flow, but his tuning made it sound like it was being played by a five-year-old. Cody felt bad for him, and he knew that he couldn't hurt his feelings. So, how was it? Not bad. Uh, not bad at all, actually. You did pretty good, man. Not bad? I've heard frogs that croaked better than that. I'll ignore that insult. Oh no, that was a compliment. That was the end of chapter four. Who will have the last laugh? Find out in chapter five, the last chapter. Enjoy. Well, Zach, uh, who do you think won? Obviously you, Cody. <sighs> Rob handed Cody the guitar. Well, Cody, I guess you do deserve that guitar after all. I lied about being part of a band. I just wanted you guys to think I was cool. I've been living here for about two years now, 
And this is my first interaction with actual people since then. I guess homeless people, we just ain't meant to play the guitar. I reckon I'll be, I'll be, I'll see ya. I'm just gonna go now. With that being said, Rob walked away into the woods straight for an old burnt shack, which must have been his so-called home. Well, let's go, Cody. We got what we came here for. Wait, Zach. I cannot just treat a homeless man like a homeless man, and you know that. Just, uh, hold on a minute. I'll be right back. You have got to be kidding me. Hey, Rob. Rob, hold up. Cody ran into the woods after him, and he turned around. Then he handed Rob the guitar. Here, take it. It's yours. How come? Look, in my opinion, it's not right to take something from a homeless man. I guess I just felt really sorry for you, I guess. Even though you were a bit of a jerk to us at times. Rob took the guitar, smiled, and shook hand with Cody one last time. I don't know what to say. Thank, thank you. Now you're welcome. You take good care of yourself and that guitar now, you hear? Yeah, I know. And don't worry, even though I live here, I wouldn't have it any other way. See ya, Cody. Cody and Zach walked back up the path, leaving the pond overlook, robbing the guitars. Wow, Cody. I didn't know you had a generous bone in you. Zach, you'd be surprised. The lesson learned here today was that you should always be nice to homeless people, even if they're not nice to you. Agreed. So why do you think that guitar was called Pinecone? You know, I don't exactly know, Zach. Well, I guess we may never know the answer to that question. Let's go home now. I'm tired. Same, man. Same. Cody had a feeling that told him that his good deed of the day was officially finished, and he and Zach finally left the park and went home. Well, that's the end of our show. Cody did the right thing, and we all know it. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Well, there you have it, an example of how creativity and hard work can create incredible entertainment with limited resources and seemingly unlimited time. I personally congratulate all of these students for stepping up to the challenge of finding ways to record and edit content and to work together without the convenience of having access to campus studios. These projects took a good bit of communication, coordination, and cooperation from the students involved and they showed that they can get it all done by using unusual means. I hope you enjoyed this special presentation of the CCCC COVID-19 Radio Theater. If you'd like to hear it again, you can find it online at 883wuaw.com. Click on On Air, then on Shows, and you'll find the broadcast right there. 
You can also find it on many of the places that you find podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for 883WUAW and you'll find it there, along with all of the other short podcasts from the personalities of WUAW from this past semester, all of which were also done from their homes. If you'd like to give feedback on what you've heard, go to 883WUAW.com and leave a message there. You can also find us on Facebook or on Twitter at 883WUAW or simply email us at wuaw at cccc.edu. We want to know what you liked, and if you have any, we also need to hear your constructive criticism. And if you're someone that would be interested in doing stuff like this, why not consider taking courses with the Broadcasting Production Technology Program at Central Carolina Community College? You'll have opportunities to get hands-on experience at our radio stations, WUAW in Harnett County or WDCC in Lee County, and our cable channel for CNC. You can learn more about this program online at www.cccc.edu forward slash broadcasting. Special opportunities are available to high school students through the Career and College Promise Program with video production offered in Lee County and a certificate program in podcasting available in Harnett County. Contact an advisor at your high school for more information or visit www.cccc.edu forward slash ccp. This special broadcast was a production of the students of the Broadcasting Production Technology Program at Central Carolina Community College. Again, you can hear this program on demand online at 883wuaw.com or through your favorite podcast outlet. I'm Fred Brucker, thanking you for having tuned in to the CCCC COVID-19 Radio Theater.